Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. So Dennis and I have been teaching through this series called Joining God, and um, I just want to kind of summarize uh, some things for you real quick. The American church has been very American in the way they've approached um, church life. And so what we tend to do is we say, okay, God, here's the plan, here's the strategy, here's what we've decided to do for you. Would you please bless this? Would you please put your blessing on what we've decided to do for you? And uh, as we're going to talk about this morning, that is not the right approach because God is not interested in doing what we're doing. He's interested in showing us what he's doing and then inviting us to join him in that. And I've said it over and over again, and Wes mentioned it this morning, but where the Spirit is flowing, that's where we're going as a church. That's really my vision. I know that's Dennis's vision. I know it's Wes's vision. I know it's the elders' vision. And I'm pretty convinced that if you're still here, it's your vision too, because you'd left long ago, because I keep saying this. But I just want to summarize um, you know, what... Um, what we've talked about so far in this Joining God series. So God is always at work around us, always at work around you. And God pursues a personal relationship with each one of us that's real and personal, like, like he really wants to be close to us. He really wants that intimacy with us. Then God, um, he begins to uh, invite us to become involved in his work. And you can follow this on your, you know, the, the little sheet that I, I handed out. Uh, I mean, that, that's in the, the pocket in front of you. Uh, so he, he just invites us to become involved in his work. And then Dennis talked about last week that God is constantly speaking to us. He's speaking to us about his love. He's speaking to us about his blessings. He's speaking to us about his grace. He's also speaking occasionally a word of cor- correction. He spoke a word of correction to me this week, and it was really precious and sweet. If it's condemnation, it's not from God. If, it's, if it brings conviction, it's God speaking a, a word of correction, but there's a sweetness to that, and it, it encourages us. It doesn't discourage us. But this morning, what I wouldn't want to talk about, and so he's constantly speaking to us. Let me just say this, but he wants to speak to us to reveal to us what he's doing so that he can involve us in that work. He wants to co-labor with us and us to co-labor with him in what he's doing. And so this morning, what I'm going to talk about is, and if you'll notice, um, it's point number five here. Uh, It says, God's invitation for you to work with him always leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. And so I'm going to talk about the crisis of belief thing, but the thing I want to focus on the most this morning is that God's invitation to join him requires faith and action. It requires faith and action. And, and we'll, we'll, we're going to look at some, some uh, examples of that, but my morning message this morning is called Faith and, and Obedience. Faith and Obedience. All right, so, so let me pray for us, and I'm going to pray a prayer that is very precious to my heart. And by the way, as my mind, I'm having a very difficult time. I think, I really do think that as a child I had ADD, honestly. I would, for the first two years of my grade school, I daydreamed my way through, you know, the first, you know, first and second grade. I don't know how I even passed to third grade because I was always somewhere else. 
And so my mind tends to wander. I have a hard time focusing. I'm, I'm not a multitasker. I, I'm, I'm a, a very myopic. It's like, it's like, you know, I can only do and think one thing at a time. So I can chew gum and walk at the same time, but not much else. And so as my mind tends to not connect with the Lord while I'm doing something, when I have those moments, I be, I've begun to pray this prayer. It's found in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. I learned this prayer from Andy Stanley when I was in seminary. I listened to a sermon on this, and I just memorized this prayer. And so I want to pray it for us this morning because it has everything to do with what I'm talking about. So let me pray this prayer. Father, Father God, fill us with the knowledge of your will. Fill us with the knowledge of your will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And I'm going to add revelation from the Holy Spirit. That we, as individuals and, and your people, might walk in a manner worthy of you to please you, Father God, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, in all respects, in every aspect of our lives, bearing fruit in everything that we do, everything that we say, increasing in our knowledge of you and increasing in our intimacy with you and knowing you as Father and Savior and Friend and Lord. Strengthened with your power, the power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, the power to heal the sick, the power to drive out demons, the power to raise the dead and preach the gospel, the power, the power that you are able to give us according to your glorious might. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. So God's invitation to join him requires faith and obedience. That's, that's really the thrust of the message this morning. If you don't hear anything else I say, hear that. Now, as you, as you heard me read the full uh, num- you know, point number five that's found on the diagram, it says God, God's invitation for you to work with him leads to a crisis of belief that requires faith and obedience. And so I said this morning we're going to focus on, on faith and obedience, but I want to talk about the crisis part for a minute because, because Henry Blackaby says that the word crisis has to do with a decision. It's a point of decision. It's not like a catastrophe. Oh, you know, it... it you know, when God calls us, he brings a catastrophe into our lives, a crisis. No, it's a point of decision. We have to decide. He says when, when God calls us to do something, he almost always calls us something to do that's not humanly possible. It's a God-sized assignment. Remember we talked about Moses last week. God said, dude, you've been keeping sheep for 40 years. You got, you got it all. You got a robe, sandals, and a staff. Now go deliver my people from Egypt. That was an impossible task that God called Moses to do. And guess what? God did that through Moses. He used Moses to deliver the people of Israel. I mean, an entire nation enslaved to an entire nation, God used one man to go and to bring those people out of Egypt. That was his assignment. It was God-sized. It was impossible Moses made every kind of excuse not to do it, and finally he just said, send someone else. Like I said last week, or last time I spoke two weeks ago, if God calls you to something like that, please don't say that. Send someone else. He wants you to do it. So here's the deal. 
There's a crisis of belief. There's a, there's a decision that you have to make. Is the God who's calling me to do something that, as Wally Martinson says, a friend of mine, a friend of our church, he's often saying, man, I feel like I'm way over my skis. Does that make sense? <laughs> I, he just says, I'm, I'm, I'm way over my skis on this one. He just means that, that I'm, I'm involved in something that I can't do. That's way bigger than I can pull off in my own strength and resources. God often calls us to do things that are way beyond our strength and resources. In fact, that's a compliment to you. That means you're a son and daughter that he's choosing to co-labor with. He's calling you into what he's doing. And so here's here's what what you do next, Henry Blackaby says, tells, tells you, tells me, tells us, tells God what you believe about God. Moses didn't believe that God could use him to deliver until he went and started obeying. He stepped across the chicken line. We're going to talk about the chicken line is like you step across what I know I can do into what I'm not sure I can do. I'm pretty sure I can't. And then God comes through. Does that make sense? So so Moses steps across the chicken line. He goes down to Egypt and God delivers the people of Israel through him. And so we have to make a decision on whether we trust God enough to obey him and join him in what he's doing. And that's especially to do because he calls us often to do the humanly impossible. I, I, you know, back when we were in August, when we were doing the, seri- the, the, the end of the series in, in the summer, we did, a, a Dennis and I did, I think, four sermons on destiny. And, and I said back then, uh, Bill Lawrence had this quote in his book, Developing the Leader's Heart. God is always calling us to do what we cannot do with what we do not have for the rest of our lives. And he, was, he used the, the, the feeding of the 5,000. You know, they, the disciples come to Jesus. Jesus, these people are hungry. There's probably 25,000 people if you count women and all their children and all that. There were 5,000 men. We know that. And, and they come and they say, send them away so they can go into the villages and get something to eat. And Jesus says, um, you give them something to eat. And they're like, right, you know, yeah, right. And he's like, go, go find out what you have. They come back, well, we got two sardines and five stale pieces of bread. That's what we got. And he said, okay, that's good enough for me. He lifts it up to the Father. He says, bless this. He, starts, he hands it out, and they start handing it out, and 2,500 2, people, 25,000 I guess it is, yeah, get fed, and then they collect 12 baskets full of leftovers. God's always able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine. But here's the thing. We, they, the disciples, were being challenged to live the rest of their lives doing what they could not do with what they did not have. And we're called to the same thing. It's no different for us. We're called to live the same way. And so when God invites us to join him, it requires faith and obedience. There's a, there's a great story in the book of Acts. Uh, it's, it's in chapter 9 about... Two men that were called to do something they weren't sure they could do. It's the call of, of uh, there, there's a major player and a minor player. But they're both players. They're both involved in God's big scheme. One man we hear about for the rest of the book of Acts. The other man we never hear about again after this story in, in Acts chapter 9. It's about the calling of Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus was a Pharisee. 
who hated Christians, who hated Jewish converts. And he, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was going around arresting uh, Jewish converts to Christianity, to Jesus as Messiah, and throwing them in prison. And he, there, was a, there was a point where um, one, of, one of the, the um, uh, kind of sec, you know, like second-level leaders in the church, a guy named Stephen, that had been appointed by the apostles to take care of widows and orphans, who was a man of faith and a prophetic man and, and very bold in his faith. And, and he was arrested and Saul held the coats of the, of the rest of the Pharisees while they stoned Stephen to death. And he was standing there holding their coats, cheering them on. And so now he's on his, on his way to Damascus to arrest more Christians. And while he's on the road to Damascus, he has this experience where the Lord Jesus appears to him and his countenance is so bright as he appears to to Saul that he's temporarily blinded and he falls off his horse and the Lord speaks to him, the Lord Jesus speaks to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he's like, who are you, Lord? (laughs) He's like, I can't even see anymore. Who are you? And he says, I am Jesus I am Jesus the Messiah whom you're persecuting. And he has this sudden insight that he has actually been living in rebellion against the very Messiah himself. And and he is just devastated by this. He is heartbroken by this. He realizes suddenly that Jesus really was the Messiah. And all these Christians that he's had arrested, all these Jewish converts that he's had arrested were actually believing in the in the Lord Jesus, and the way he was persecuting Jesus was he was putting his body under persecution. When when someone touches us, he touches they touch Jesus, and he wanted to make sure that Paul understood that. But he was also calling him to do something that no self-respecting Pharisee would ever do. Jesus was calling him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. The hated dogs, those, those people that weren't even worth talking to, that were untouchable. Were, you, you didn't talk to a Gentile. You treated, they were called dogs. The goyim, as they call it in, 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 in uh, Hebrew. Dogs. Unworthy ones. We're sitting here today because the Apostle Paul is called to the Gentiles. And so there was another fella involved in the story. So Jesus, Paul says, what do I do, Lord? He said, I want you to go. He didn't have a GPS, so Jesus had to tell him, I want you to go into Damascus, go to Straight, Straight Street, and go to Judas's house, and then I'll, I'll send someone to pray for you, and then I'll tell you what you're going to do for me. So I, I love that. So here's the second person in, in the uh, story here. His name is Ananias. And I'm going to read in just a moment uh, in Acts 9, verses 9, or 10 through 19. But this is not the same Ananias that was married to Sapphira that got struck dead because he and his wife lied to the Holy Spirit. That's not the same person. This is a different Ananias. So in Acts 9, verse 10 uh, and, and following, it says this, In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, Ananias. Remember last week Dennis talked about Jesus or God calling Samuel, and he answered him finally, you know. Same thing here. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. 
In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Now, that's pretty cool. He's already, he's saying, I've already shown him you, praying for him, and, and uh, you know, so, so he's waiting for you there. He's praying and he's waiting for you. And here's Ananias' response. A little bit like Moses. Lord, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Jesus is like, oh, I didn't know that. I'm just kidding. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. There it is again. What do you say to Moses? I've come down. I've heard my people's cry. They're, they're, un, you know, they're, they're under bondage and they're under oppression by Pharaoh and the Egyptians. I've come down to do something about it. Now you go. He's like, I'm calling Saul. You go. You go. He's always calling us to go. Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went. I love that. Obedience. Faith and obedience. He trusted God. He believed this God that that he served. He went to the house and entered in, placing his hands on this persecutor of the church, on Saul, He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me to you that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again, and he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength, and he immediately went out and began to preach the gospel. God invited Ananias to join him, and it required, he had a crisis of faith. Do I believe that God's going to protect me from this persecutor of the church? And he believed that he was, and, and he was it, but it required faith and obedience. But look what it accomplished. I mean, look what it accomplished, guys. You never hear of Ananias again. He dips in and dips out. That's, that, that was his, probably his biggest thing that he ever did for the Lord. But what was that? He decided to trust God. He obeyed God and what he asked him to do. And he was instrumental in launching the ministry of probably the greatest um, evangelist of all time and a writer of over you know, two-thirds of the New Testament. His obedience helped launch the ministry of the Apostle Paul. You never hear from him again, but I guarantee you he, his reward is waiting for him in heaven because he, was obe- he had faith and obedience and he stepped out and did what God asked him to. I just want to share, we haven't been reading from, from uh, Henry Blackaby's stuff, so I want to share just a, just a snippet of what's in the book. This is the actual book, Experiencing God, not the workbook. But I just want to read this real quick. When God calls a person to join him, uh, when God calls a person to join him in a God-sized task, faith is always necessary. And our obedience indicates faith in God. Disobedience, disobedience reveals a lack of faith. When God speaks, he asks of us, of what, what he asks of us requires faith. Our major hindrance to obedience is our self-centeredness. I'm not sure I want to do that. Send someone else. <laughs> I'm not sure I can do that. I'm not sure I want to risk that. I'm not sure I want to experience what might happen if I do that. 
we think we have to accomplish the assignment in our own power with our own resources. We think, I can't do that. That's not possible. In other words, we don't believe that God can do it. We forget when God speaks, he always reveals what he's going to do, not what he's, he wants us to do for him. I'm going to read that sentence again. We forget that when God speaks, he always reveals what he's going to do, not what he wants us to do for him. We join him so he works through us. He works through us. There's a big difference in working for God and God working through us. We are not called upon to accomplish the task by our ingenuity, our ability, or our limited resources. With faith, we proceed confidently because we know that he's going to bring to pass his purposes through us. When God invites us to join him, it requires faith and obedience. A few months ago, um, I was invited to a conference at the Vineyard Church in Dublin. It's called uh, the Dublin, or the, the Vineyard at Tuttle Crossing, but it's in Dublin. And there was a speaker named Steve Nicholson who was the speaker. This was just last weekend. And in, in 43 years ago, he started a little Pentecostal church and within six months had encountered John Wimber, the, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, and adopted almost immediately into the vineyard. So he went, he planted a Pentecostal church. Six months later, he connects with John Wimber. By the end of the first year of his church, he was a vineyard church. It's called uh, Vineyard Church of Evanston, uh, Illinois. And he just retired a year, year ago after 42 years of pastoral ministry at Vineyard Church in, in Evanston, Illinois. And I'm going to share several things that Steve said because this was a divine appointment. The notes that I took were not just notes from a good conference. They were prophetic callings and sayings to our church. Prophetic callings on our church and prophetic sayings to our church. And so I took a lot of notes. And, and I'm, I'm sharing some of this with you because this is what God's prophetically doing. Because he wants us... I mean. These words that I, that I received from Steve, his name is Steve, Steve Nicholson, um, I really believe were prophetically meant for us to hear at this time in how and where the Holy Spirit is working in our church and where and how he's leading us. I didn't want to get that wrong, so I read it. <laughs> so here, here's, let me just share this. So Steve said that he would go to conferences, he would, go, he would read books, he would visit churches, and he would see this something that they were doing that was really working. And he said, I would, I would get excited, I would go back to my church, and I would get my leaders together, and I would share what was going on in this church or at this conference, or you know, what, these testimonies about you know, some great thing that they were doing that was really working in their church. And so he'd say, I want us to do that here. I want us to implement that here so it'll work here like that. And he said, we would scheme and we would plan and we would strategize and we would change our budget and, and, and we would incorporate what they were doing and we would work really hard. And nine months later, we would give birth to a mouse. It, this much fruit. At one point he said, he said I, for the first 20 years of ministry, he said, everything I did succeeded. He said, when I was doing campus ministry, when I was in college, we built this huge... Everybody I talked to wanted to know Jesus. 
He said, I was, he said, I just thought I was a natural evangelist. I'd walk up to a person, share the Lord, ask them if they wanted to pray and ask Jesus in their heart. They'd say yes. I'd lead them to, I'd disciple them. I'd get them involved in our campus ministry and off we'd go. And he said, we just built this humongous, me and my friends built a humongous campus ministry. Then I planted my church and we joined the vineyard and it just seemed like everything I did uh, was successful until it wasn't. <laughs> he said, I hit the wall. At a, there, we talked about... Um, uh, in this, uh, again, uh, Bill Lawrence's book, The Wall of Inadequacy, he hit a wall of inadequacy where everything he did suddenly didn't bear f- fruit. They were giving birth to mice on a regular basis. In fact, they were, that's, only, that's the only thing they were giving birth to. <laughs> he said for three and a half years, nothing he did worked. Nothing his team did worked. He said, he said we, started, we just started losing people because everything we tried failed. I love that. God wants to use failure. He, we talked about that in our series on uh, spiritual growth. God uses failure probably as much as anything in our lives. And so at, at finally, at three and a half years of failing and failing and failing, he threw up his hands and he said, God, I give up. I let go of control of this church. Jesus, I give the church back to you. And Jesus said, thank you. I appreciate the fact that it took you three and a half years to finally come to this realization, but thank you. I'll take it from here. And he said he did. God took it from there. He said this, and this is so appropriate for what we're talking. He said, I gave the, the church back to Jesus and said, God, just show me what you're doing and I'll do that. Just show me what you're doing. And I'll join you in that. And, and what the Lord showed me as I sat there and listened to this man who just retired after 42 years of, of, of senior pastor of a very, very successful church. One of the most successful vineyard churches in the world. That he said, God, I want to join you in what you're doing. And God blessed that. I, I, I just felt like we needed to hear that this morning. That it's been, it's been tested, field tested, and it works. Because hugely successful church. And I'll tell you some of what, what's happened in, in a minute. But God invites us to join him in what he's doing. And it requires faith and obedience. So, so Steve, stop doing stuff and asking God to bless it. And started saying, okay, God, what are you doing? We're just going to join you in that. And it, and it worked. God started blessing his church again. True faith requires obedience. Faith requires obedience. It's not faith if you're not obeying. James says faith without works is dead. It's nothing. Don't you hate that? I mean, honestly, don't you hate that faith requires obedience? I do. I'll be honest with you. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but, but the, the, the real evidence of faith of what you believe about God is your willingness to step across the chicken line and be obedient. Last night, guys, I realized I'm sitting there watching football or something, and I realized that I have a coupon in my van for $5 off, $25 at Dollar General. If I wake up Sunday morning and I didn't use that coupon, I've had a bad weekend. I usually end up spending like $40 to save five, but I got to use my coupon. And I'm, I actually said out loud, oh, and Deb and Lindsay said, what? And I said, I got to go to Dollar General. I have a coupon. 
And Lindsay said, okay, can I go with you? And I'm like, as long as you don't spend money on my coupon, you can go. <laughs> spend your own money. You don't have a coupon. Anyway. So I go to Dollar General. And we buy $40 worth of stuff. And she buys her own stuff. We load it all up in the car. And I always take my basket back. I always, you know, I feel like it's a good witness to take my basket back and put it back, you know, so they don't have to come out and get it. So I'm walking back with my basket. And the little cashier that just rang me out, she comes out for a smoke. And she sees me. And she says, oh, honey, I'll take that. And I said, thank you very much. And have a good one. And I turned around and I walked away. And as I'm walking away, I feel like, the Holy Spirit's tapping me on the shoulder. Go back and talk to her. And I just keep walking. And I get in the car. And I start driving home. And we only live four blocks from Dollar General. So I didn't even use gas to get the $5 coupon. But anyway, I'm driving home. And I, and I, get, I turn onto Marydale, which is a, literally a block from our house. And I said, Lindsay, I feel like I'm supposed to go back and talk to that lady. And I wanted her to say, nah, Dad, we're almost home. And she, and she said, I'll go with you <laughs> if you really feel like you're supposed to. She does this stuff all the time. So I'm like, doggone it, man. I want to go back and finish watching, you know, Iowa beat, you know, Penn State or whatever. So I, I drive back and I, I pull up and there's no cars in the parking lot. I think there was one, and the person was way back in the back of the store. And not only is she out there, but her friends, her, the other coworker is now out there, and they're standing out there together just by themselves with nothing to do. And so Lindsay and I get out of the car, and I'm like, Lord, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Oh, hi, how are you? Uh, yes, I was just here, you know. And uh, I, you know, I'm stumbling around. I was like, I just feel like the Lord, the Lord, you know, I was on my way home, and the Lord said, you know, go back and, and pray for you. Is there anything you need prayer for? And, and, and guys, when you ask that question, it depends on who you're talking to, but a lot of times in the United States of America, you're going to get, nope, I'm good, don't need any prayer, thanks very much. Don't let that stop you. So my next question was this, could, could we just pray a prayer of blessing over you? Who doesn't want that? I don't care if you're a total you know, atheist. If some friendly person with a really sweet daughter walks up, and says, can we pray a blessing on you? They'll usually say yes. So I prayed my best prayer. I prayed for God to, to bless them, for, to bless their families, their, 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 you know, their, their finances, their relationships, their health. I, I asked them if they'd had COVID, and they said, as far as we know, no. And so I just said, you know, God, please protect them from COVID. Just cover them with your blood. And then I just said, God, show them how much you love them. And then Lindsay began to give a word of knowledge. She said, I just feel like God's saying blah, 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 blah. And we finished our prayer and, and we walked back to the car and got in. And, and I just like, why am I so reluctant to do this? And, and I'm so proud of my spiritual son, Jason Adams, the drummer. This is his lifestyle. He'll, he'll go into Kroger. He'll go into anywhere and just say, okay, Lord, show me who you're highlighting. I want to pray for them. And God will show him somebody, and he'll go pray for them. I'm just so proud of his boldness and his obedience to the Lord to do that. But we got to get across the chicken line. we got to be, you know, join God in what he's doing. It requires faith and obedience. But when we do that, it's, it, it's just so awesome. It's so awesome. Guys, here's one thing that, that the Lord has asked me to do that's not quite as hard. It was at first, honestly. But I do a lot of funerals. I just had a funeral this last week. And, um, 
And the Lord told me some years ago, I want you to always give an invitation for people to accept Christ at the end of your funeral sermon. And at first it was like, God, I don't want to do this. I don't ask anybody to come forward, raise their hands. And I've done this for, I mean, dozens and dozens of times. And I always say at the end, if you pray this prayer, I want you to come talk to me at some point. Because, I mean, I'm going to be around while, you know, people are milling around and, and giving their final regards to the family. And then I'm going to be around, standing around after I read my little thing at the graveside. I usually stand around for 15, 20 minutes while people are hugging each other and taking flowers off the, you know, the casket and so forth. And I'm always there. I have not once had someone come up and say, Pastor, thank you for leading us in the prayer of salvation. I just gave my life to Jesus. Not one time. In the years that I've been doing this, not one time. But here's what I'm, here's what I'm hoping is going to happen. When I get to heaven, I want some dude or dudess to come up to me and say, I was at my cousin's funeral, and you led us in this prayer to ask Jesus into our hearts. And I was sitting there, and though I didn't tell you, I, asked, I prayed the prayer with you. And I'm here, not down there, because, because you led me in that prayer. Dude, could I get a hug? Bring it in, babe. You know, I want that to happen. I want that to happen for me. I want that to happen for you. Because we don't always know. We don't always see the fruit of what happens. But sometimes we do. Sometimes we do. And I want to share this last story with you. Steve Nicholson, again, the guy from, from uh, uh, Evanston. Uh, it, Evanston is a suburb of, of Chicago, and so he said, when I was younger and I could blend in with the student body, I used to go to Northwestern University, uh, which is in Chicago, and I would go to these campus Christian meetings, and I would try to you know, buddy up to the, the Christian leaders on campus so that I would get them and their followers to come to my church, because that was part of my church growth strategy, was to get these folks to come to my church. And he said, one, one day I, I went to a meeting, they were having some kind of Bible study, and he said, I was sitting there. And this dude comes in, and he sits down right beside me, like in the chair next to me, and he's coughing and sneezing and sweating, and it's obvious that he's got some kind of horrible cold or flu or something. And he said, I was so ticked off. I wanted to turn around and say, dude, what are you doing here? Why did you come so sick? You know, you're going to give this to everybody. And he said he, he just sat there, and he was fuming, and this guy just kept coughing and sneezing and sweating and and, you know, panting and whatever. And he said, I turned, I just turned around and looked at him and I heard myself say, could I pray for you? And the guy said, yeah. And he said, I just put my hand on, on his shoulder and I'm just going to throw this out. I know this is not part of the, he said, we pray for healing in the same way we cast out demons. Because Jesus said, when I, when, um, when Jesus sent out the 12, he said, I give you authority to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, and to cast out demons and to raise the dead. Authority. And we don't ask Jesus to cast out demons. We don't ask Jesus to heal the sick. We command. We speak, just like Peter on the steps of the temple, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, get up and walk. Okay? So he, he used that prayer. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command this cold to get out of this man. And, and uh, he said, I have prayed for many more cases of cancer to be healed and they were healed than for people with colds to be healed and they were healed. He said, I don't know what it is about colds, but I just don't have any power, it seems like, to, to do the cold thing, except for this one dude. 
And he said, I, I said, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, get out of his body, be healed in Jesus' name. And this man was instantly healed of this cold. Now, here's the punchline, though, for, for now. There's many punchlines. But listen to this. This dude was a Muslim from Turkey. An unbeliever. A Muslim. And he instantly was open to Christ. We're going to talk about this in our next series called, called Putting Jesus on Display Through Love and Power. That's what happened here. Jesus was put on display through the love of praying for someone and the power to heal, and this man instantly wanted to know Jesus. And so he came to Christ, and he said, Steve said, he was my, he was my shadow. He, he followed me around like a puppy for a while. And he said, this dude goes and gets, gets a, a woman, a, a female on campus that's also from Turkey and is a Muslim, brings her to me. She prays to accept Christ. At a certain point, she goes back to Turkey and plants, helps plant 12 churches in Turkey. Okay, this is getting better, isn't it? Okay. So they're kind of helping these church plants happen. And a, a lady from his church, a, a young woman from his church, goes over to Turkey to help with what's happening. She falls in love with an Iranian Christian. They decide to leave and go to Iran. They plant 15 house churches in Iran. So now we're talking about 27 churches because one dude got healed of a cold. Okay, so they get arrested. They get thrown in prison. Somehow, Steve, through his connections and you know, working with the, the you know, people that he knew and, and some churches, they were able to get these guys out of prison and into the next country over from Iran. One, it was a small Muslim country, but not quite as... as as rough on Christians as, uh, as, Iran, you know, as Iran is. And they, from there, they planted a number of churches, house churches. So we're, we're talking potentially three dozen churches planted out of one dude getting healed from a cold. We just don't know when we step across the chicken line in obedience and in faith and obedience we join God in what he's doing, what will come of that? But someday we'll know. Someday when this age is over and we enter into the age to come, I want every single person in this room to have people coming up for millennia saying, because you obey God, I'm here. And not only am I here, my family's here, and, and an entire part of my country is here because you said yes to God. You stepped out in faith and obedience. Man, I, I, I just have to say this. I, my tendency is to be like the, the 11 in the boat that didn't walk on water. I'm, I'm in the boat cheering uh, Peter on, you know, go, you dude, dog, go, you know, get, walk to Jesus. That's right, man. That's right. Walk out on that wind and waves. And you know, I'd probably be the one that called his attention to the wind and waves that made him sink. But I'd be sitting in the boat holding both sides. That's my tendency. And that's all of our tendencies. For every Peter, there's 11 other people that, that aren't going to get out of the boat. Guys, life is out on the water with Jesus, dancing on the waves with Jesus. It's across the chicken line. It's when we step out in faith and obedience that we begin to experience real, abundant life. Jesus said that's, that's what he wanted to give us, but we have to live like Jesus to get there. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to bow your heads with me. And, and I want to, I just want to ask you this question. What is it right now 
that God is speaking to you. And Lord, speak to this precious group of people. What is God speaking to you that is challenging you to step out of the boat, to, to step across the chicken line? To have a, you're having a crisis of belief right now that God is asking you to do something that's bigger than you. That's bigger than your resources, that's bigger than your, your strength. But he's calling you to, to, uh, to cross the chicken line, to get out of the boat, to, to go where he's telling you to go, to do what he's telling you to do. What is that that's going to require faith and obedience? Let me just ask you to just take a moment and listen to the Lord. Lord, just speak to these precious people right now. Thank you, Jesus. Speak, Lord, for your children are listening. I want you to take the week and just continue to ask Jesus that question. What are you asking me to do, Lord, that's going to take faith and obedience? And I want you to tell me next Sunday. I want you to come up to me next Sunday and tell me what God said. Please don't do like the funeral people and not tell me. But I would, with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, if God is showing you something, would you just raise your hand right now? If God is showing, oh, that's awesome. Praise God. God's already speaking to people. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. That's probably a fifth, or I mean, uh, that's probably 5% of the congregation that raised your hand. But I want 75% by next Sunday to know that, that God is calling you to join him in what he's doing, and it's going to require faith and obedience. Don't be like Moses. Send someone else. I want you to get out of the boat with Peter and dance on the water with Jesus and experience life and experience fruit experience that abiding in Him and allowing Him to work through you and just see what He'll do. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.